0: hi i'm terrell turner the host of the finance and accounting show and today we have a great guest on because one of the things that i find interesting as i talk to a lot of different business owners is you know getting back to the basics of what really drives a business and part of that is finding a problem that people have that they're willing to pay for a solution and today's guest is any business that you really don't hear A ton about and that is insurance resolution and so i'm interested to learn a little bit more about insurance claim resolutions as well as you know how you really created a business around something that you don't really hear a lot of businesses being created in that space so stay tuned for today's episode So without further ado, let me bring on my guest. Taylor, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, before we jump into, you know, talking about, you know, Bellator claims and what you do in that with the resolution space, can you tell us a little bit about your background?
1: Yeah, actually, I've been in real estate for about 18 years, which blows my mind because I don't feel like I'm that old, right? <laughs> but yeah, so this year will be 18 years that I've been in real estate. And it's interesting because what I do is property claims and my real estate background and understanding how that affects Real estate, how insurance claims actually can affect real estate positively or negatively has allowed me to kind of bring that into my current business, which is awesome. But ultimately, that was my training. And I did a lot of real estate short sales where I used to call the bank and be like, hey, Mr. Banker, you're going to probably lose a little bit of money. But if you help me help our mutual client, you're going to lose less money. And now I call the insurance company and say, hey, Mr. Adjuster, I and you, we both know that you owe a little bit more on this claim than you've paid. And if you help me help our mutual client, you're going to pay less than if we had to sue you, you know, some version of that. And so it's really interesting how those two worlds have married up a little bit in my current world. And that's a little bit about, you know, my background as far as professionally.
0: Awesome. I love it. I mean, and, and I think both of those are, are, are very relevant to, you know, some core audiences that we speak to a lot are like, you know, law firms, which, as you mentioned about like, hey, the lawsuits that involve a lot of insurance companies and as well as I think from finance and accounting professionals. And I, I think it's just learning about, you know, that aspect, because I, I would probably guess there are a lot of accountants out there who probably have clients who have experience you know, issues with insurance companies and they absolutely have no idea how to help them. They're just like, Mm -hmm. hey, take whatever you can get when it's like, no, there could be a better option.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and you actually bring up a good point, if I may just kind of go off on a little bit of a tangent. I actually work with a local financial planner CPA and he has me part of his team a little bit where I just talked to a lady that works with him on the financial planning side with a rental property that she has that kind of went south with her uh, tenants in regards to some major issues that she filed a insurance claim and has been working on that. So he referred her to me because he knew what she was going through and was getting, uh, as of right now, it's like $140,000 less than what she's supposed to be getting. And so like that is a big difference, right? That definitely comes into play regarding financial planning if she has to come out of pocket with $140,000 that changes a lot of people's lives. So it's interesting you bring that up because I think it is very relevant.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that is a, I think that is a, a big part of, you know, what I think was is a a place of ignorance for a lot of people is not knowing Mm -hmm. that, Hey, there's something you can do about that, or there are options. So I'm, I'm excited to talk a little bit more about that. Um, But I guess, you know, before we jump deeply into that, you know, you know, as you talked about, you know, kind of your background of, you know, from real estate now to, you know, hey, you're calling adjusters and, you know, for yourself is, you know, did you originally see this as a business, you know, opportunity like, hey, I can really see this growing as a business or did you kind of fall into it as a proximity of some of the work you were doing prior?
1: So it's an interesting story, and I'll try to keep it short. But one of my best friends that I've known since I was seven years old had introduced me to a guy that had a lot of freedom in his life and was able to do a lot of things that I was like, "Wow, this guy has what I'm looking for in my life." At that time, I recently had two kids in 16 months, like back to back, and so I had two kids under two, and I'm in real estate. Like, wow, like I, I don't know if I can handle like doing real estate weekends and nights and like really be at home with my children and raise my family. And so I started thinking about it and he made a couple introductions and that's kind of how it started. But I saw an opportunity that would give me more freedom is really what I saw. And I knew that I could be good at it because as I did research on it and kind of like understood the process, I'm like, that's what I was doing for four or five years, convincing banks to lose money is a pretty hard proposition, right? And I was really good at it. So I was like, you know what? This could be something that I could really get involved in and help a lot of people with something that they don't even know exists. And so you brought up that point that most people have no idea that I even exist, which in one respect is really good because it allows me To start gaining a little bit more and more market share for me, you know, selfishly. But ultimately, it's bad because people don't really understand that you can have an advocate on your side. You know, the insurance company will send out an adjuster for their company. And most people have no idea. Like if you talk to most people, they make a claim once every like, I think the average is once every nine years or something like that. And so it's not like something that's on the top of your mind that you do over and over and over and over again and get really good at. But guess who does? The insurance adjuster does this at least three, five, ten times a day and hundreds of times a year, if not thousands of times a year. And so they're very good at that. So.
0: Gotcha. You know, and and I think that that is something that I will say for reflecting on my experiences with, you know, insurance claims, you know, I, I was just completely clueless to where, you know, you file an insurance claim. The adjuster comes out and you just feel like, hey, I got to take whatever they give me. And, you know, I'm I'm guessing that there are a lot of people who find themselves in that situation. Now, you know, with, you know, at the time of us recording this, I mean, there there was a hurricane that that, you know, recently hit in Florida. So when it comes down to natural disasters, do you get a lot of calls and situations like that when it comes down to insurance claims?
1: Yeah, you know, in this case, specifically with the hurricane in Florida, I'm getting more calls from other adjusters that are like, hey, we are already so overwhelmed. And I think that happened a week ago today, right, if I remember correctly. And like they're just like, hey, like there's not enough people to help all of the people down here that need it. And so that's what I'm getting calls on. But usually like in Colorado, where I'm located at and we're licensed in multiple states. But in Colorado specifically, it's more hail. It's more hail related that we get a lot of hail storms and it's real dense and the air's thinner here. So it it reaches a, a lot faster velocity when it hits, the ice balls are harder. And so there's a lot of things that go into that. So I work with a lot of people now that I've been in the industry going on, actually I think this month is eight years that I've been in the industry. And so I just know a lot of people in the industry and get a lot of referrals after like a hailstorm happens. But the interesting thing that occurs in my business is the hailstorm occurs and hurricanes a little bit different cuz it's like so devastating, right? Um, but with the hailstorm it occurs and then usually 30 60 90 days after the hailstorm or when people start getting denials or diminishment being underpaid on their payments and so I usually get involved about 60 to 90 days after a storm in in Colorado for hail but I, I I would prefer to get involved up front, because I know how to navigate the ship, right? And I always say it's it's better and easier for me to navigate the ship than try to raise a sinking ship up off the ocean floor, right? That's already going downhill. I can guide that a little bit better at, at the beginning of that stage. So, hmm.
0: Gotcha. Now, I guess for those of us that are a little ignorant of how the process usually goes, can you kind of because you mentioned about getting involved on the front end versus, hey, someone, you know, putting the claim 60, 90 days later, they got a denial, then they're calling you. So it's just kind of like, you know, how does that process usually work? Like it's like on the front end, the hailstorm happens, you know, what kind of unfolds next?
1: Yeah, usually hailstorm occurs, and it's either a roofer that is like knocking on the door and saying, "Hey, I can help you with the claim," or they know that they had hail. Like the insured knows that they had hail, and so they'll call an insurance claim in. Insurance adjuster usually comes out and says, "Hey, we think there's ten thousand dollars worth of damage. Here's a check for five thousand because when you complete the roof, we'll give you the rest minus your deductible," and it, it kind of goes from there. And I would say. You know, the majority of claims are paid mostly fairly, right, like mostly fair, I would say the majority of those claims are paid because what I look at is, does the contractor have enough money to bring the insured back to pre-loss condition or better, depending on the type of policy that they have. And I think that's something important that we should maybe talk about here in a second is the policy and that's kind of where everything is dictated from. But ultimately, if say, the contractor needs 20,000 and the adjuster only pays 10 then there's that $10,000 discrepancy and most people wonder like why am i paying for insurance if the insurance company isn't going to pay the claim like what is needed and right now as i'm sure you're very well aware being in the industry that you are supply chain issues material shortages inflation all of that stuff is not really taken into account because the programs and the software that insurance companies use are lagging a little bit. And they say it's up to date, but you go look at what they pay for one sheet of plywood in their software. And then you go to Home Depot and look at that same thing. And you're like, there's a $30 difference. What what is going on here? So really ultimately that's kind of the process. And then usually people get either frustrated or completely angry. And then I get involved. So I always say, I don't get involved when a claim is going really well, right? Or <laughs> upset and frustrated. And then they call me to come in and really say, hey, what is fair and what is actually owed to the insured?
0: Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's an important one because, you know, especially for a lot of you know the accountants and finance professionals that are that are working, like, you know, if you have a client that you know, unfortunately, it endures property damage. I mean, it can affect their business and them getting the right, you know, them getting, you know, I guess you'd say made whole is not just a factor of, hey, they just got their building fixed. It's like, hey, they're able to get their livelihood back in order. So, I mean, yeah. that, that, that's a very important topic you bring up. And, and you talked a little bit about, you know, the policy because, you know, I'm guilty of this myself. Of you know, you, you get an insurance policy. Someone says, "Oh, you need insurance," and you get insurance policy. You have no idea really how to understand them or what's right. in them. <laughs> you know, you just call the first agent and you shop around for some prices. Oh, that price sounds reasonable. This insurance should cover that. And then you find out when you have your first claim, you put in like, "Oh, that's not covered on the insurance." Right. Any recommendations <laughs> for people? Like when they're doing that, like, hey, how do you really break it down to understand what is in your insurance policy?
1: Right, so if you have a good relationship with your agent, if they're a captive agent or if they're an independent broker or something like that, that's really where it starts is to make sure that that person understands your needs, okay? Because the tenant of every insurance policy is indemnification, what you had just brought up, to make me whole, as good or better than before the loss depending on the policy right so will it do that okay Um, one of the things that we saw after the Marshall Fire here in Colorado is people were drastically underinsured because of those material shortages and pricing like just crazy like crazy pricing and so the, the first and foremost, I think, is having a really good relationship with your agent that you know and trust and is looking out for your best interest and understands what is happening in the market, right, in regards to pricing of materials. And hey, look, I know you want the cheapest policy, everybody does, until you make a claim and that cheap policy and that cheap insurance becomes really expensive because the insurance company's like, hey, thanks for all the premiums over the years, now we're not gonna really pay the claim as fairly as you'd like. So my recommendation is pricing second or third after getting the coverage that you need, making sure you're fully covered and are working with an insurance agent or company that actually gives a crap. <laughs> I mean, that that's, that's the best way to put it, right? And we'll actually look for your best interests. And that's the first and foremost. Like for me, I want cheap insurance too because it's funny in the back of your mind, you're like, I probably am not going to ever use that until you need it. <laughs> right, And in- insurance is so different than any other business or industry, because like you, you don't like your TV. You take it back to the electronics store, exchange it and get another TV. But after a loss occurs, you can't change the insurance that you had before the loss up until that point. Right. And so it's impossible to go back and change that. So you need to make sure that the insurance that you have is the best coverage first and then pricing next or down the line.
0: Awesome. I mean, I think that's a great, you know, great point. And I would again say for for a lot of accounting finance professionals, um, even the lawyers that that are watching, you know, whether this show or they watch our show, law and finance. Um, I, I think that's an important topic. Is if you're having a conversation with your clients, especially if you're having a conversation before an incident happens, it's just really advising them about hey, making sure you have the right coverage versus just. You know shopping for the lowest price because you know sometimes you get what you pay for (laughs) if it's the lowest price it may not it may not necessarily make you whole now one of the things that I, i was very you know curious about as well is you know being in an industry that a lot of people don't know that you know your business exists in that you know that whole insurance process they get a policy something happens they file a claim they get denied Most people have no idea what to do other than just call the insurance company and complain. Right. don't know that, hey, I can actually bring in an advocate who knows this industry, who does this on a regular basis. You know, so one of the things that stood out for me is, you know, because you're that type of business, like how do you get the word out and start educating people on the fact that you exist?
1: Right. And you bring up a really... Interesting point, which is kind of a catch 22 is more people need to know that we exist and they don't. And it's a very small pool. However, the number one way that I get business is from referrals because I've been in the industry so long that people trust me and know me and understand the results that I can get. I could blow your mind with all sorts of stats and numbers, but ultimately, our average increase is 963% more than what the insurance company initially offered. Okay, and that doesn't include some of the claims that I've been able to take from 25,000 to $5.3 million, right, because I don't think people would really like believe those numbers. But ultimately, first and foremost, is if you have a good contractor, right? I think like how I build my team in life is having good people in different areas that can help me when I need them. And one is having a really good contractor, roofer, GC, or somebody that you know and trust that again has your best interest at heart is putting your interest before theirs, right? Sometimes that's hard to find, but when you find that person stick with them because those are the people that understand how the process works. And in my world, there's just contractors that put on roofs and then there's insurance restoration contractors. Insurance restoration contractors are the people that I would go with because they understand the process and they know how the game works, right? They understand like, hey, this is what the insurance company is probably going to do. If we don't get enough money, then we need to get a public adjuster involved and see what they can do. So I'm a licensed public insurance adjuster. And so that is my technical title. And so if you are, you know, if your viewers and audience are looking for somebody to help them, that's what you want to Google public insurance adjuster and then ask some questions about, hey, what is your knowledge? What is your expertise? How do you operate? How do you get paid? What does that look like? How long does this process take? And there's a varying question or varying answers to all of those questions, depending on if it's commercial or residential, right? Commercial policies and claims can take multiple years. The nice thing about that is on the commercial side it's usually not at like, hey, my roof is leaking onto my bed where I sleep at night. It's, you know, I can deal with it, we just put some buckets out and we'll take care of that for now and do some um, leak detection and chasing those leaks and maybe making repairs and things like that. Versus if it's a residential claim, it's a much more immediate need that uh, the people have in in regards to that. But ultimately one of the things, and I think the way you and I met is on LinkedIn. And so I try to get the word out to the people that I do business with, that also know people that they do business with, that could refer me just knowing and understanding what I do and how I do it. And that I'm competent and trustworthy, you know, things like that.
0: Awesome. Awesome. You know, that's one of the things that I, I do like about, you know, like I said, creating the content. Cause like you said, that's how, that's how I found you. Is right. I saw some of the videos that you had done. Um, so, I mean, When you meet a lot of different people, um, you know, for you and I, it may seem normal to create the content, put it out there on social media sites. But I'm often amazed when I meet other professionals like that just doesn't seem to register on their mind as a thing to do. So what got you into creating content and putting it out there on social media?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, the truth is the reason I did it was because I was scared. I had so much fear around doing videos, right? And my buddy and I, we did a 30 day Facebook live challenge. So there were live videos. We were just like, okay. And you know, the first couple, like the I would say the first three or four days and we were brutally honest with each other. So what we would do is we would do it. We had to be at least two minutes and not to exceed like four minutes. So you could actually create that content. So we kind of had some rules around it. And then the other guy would Voxer Um, the other person, and give them feedback on like, what does your eye contact look like? What is the speed? What is the cadence? Is your volume good? You know, And, and so we were really brutally honest with each other for 30 days. And it was freaking terrible. Like the first 10 days, 15 days, I was terrible at it. I hated it. I did not want to do it anymore. And then after day 30, I was like, man, this is easy now, right? <laughs> and so ultimately the reason I did it is because I was scared to do it. And a friend of mine was brave enough to say, hey, let's do this together. You're terrible at this. I'm terrible at this. Let's see if we can get better at, at doing this together. And so we did, and it's made all the difference in the world because I know just like you, so many people are scared and have so much fear around creating videos and they shouldn't, right? And it's it's like you, you create your first, 10 videos, you're like, oh, okay, I'm getting better. And now I've been doing this going on like this, January will be five years since I started doing my denial of the day videos on LinkedIn. And I can't tell you how impactful that has been for the people that watch them and also my business. It's been amazing. So if your audience is watching this and they are scared to do videos, I would encourage them to start now because look at all the platforms that are succeeding right now in social media or otherwise they're almost all videos
0: yeah I I I totally agree I mean I think it it has been a night and day difference for us I mean for our for even for our firm it's just being able to get out there and, and and talk to the audiences that we help and we support and even just creating strategic relationships so I strongly encourage people to do that so you know, I would say for those of you that are listening, if you're an accounting firm, law firm, and you know, you want to learn a little bit more, other than finding you on LinkedIn, where can people find you online on your website?
1: Yeah. So my website is the best place, and then it connects to a bunch of other things, but it's Bellatorclaims.com, and it'll kind of give you a showcase of the type of claims that we work. We do commercial claims, industrial claims, school districts. And municipalities right now, and I will kind of toot my own horn here. But ultimately, we're working with the school district down in Denver, and we've been able to take that claim from two hundred seventy-seven thousand dollars to seven point eight million dollars for the school district.
0: Wow, that is that is impressive, um, and I think it you know it, it is definitely life changing for right. an institution to be able to provide the quality that they need. Um, And to get focused back on doing what they do, because, as you said, most people don't file a claim every day. So they have no idea how to even navigate that process on their own.
1: Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. And the thing is, we all have lives, right? Like you with your firm, me with my firm. Obviously, I do this pretty much every day. But ultimately, like the school district and the risk manager, they're not just managing the risk of this insurance claim. They have a ton of other stuff, thousands and thousands of students, and I'm sure many, many incidences and things like that, that they have to really put their attention to. And then, oh yeah, we also have to worry about this insurance claim. It should never be like that. When you're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars, it should be like, hey, this insurance claim should be at the top of the priority list. And if we can't handle it, we need to hire someone that can. So yeah, absolutely, man
0: awesome awesome i love it again i would say for you know for accounting finance professionals out there i mean you know some of you may have you know industrial commercial clients that you know what, they may unfortunately face a need for an insurance claim and if they're having issues there i mean hey you know people like taylor are great to bring into the conversation just to make sure that they can be made whole to get back to the business that they are really in instead of having to spend a ton of time fighting with the insurance company, trying to figure out something that they really just don't understand. So definitely. Thank you. So before we wrap up, Taylor, one of the things that I always love asking people is, you know, you know, when you listen to podcasts, a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of great things that get shared. And so if you were talking to someone to say, Hey, you know, I was on the finance and accounting show with Terrell and Hey, if you go back and you listen to that episode, Hey, here are two big takeaways that I really want you to focus on in that conversation that I have with Terrell. What would your two big takeaways be?
1: You know, one I would say is the power of the policy. We didn't really get too far into that, but that is the crux of everything that I do and that I'm here for is because there's a policy in place that dictates how the claim should be paid. So one, make sure you have the right policy in place. And two, Know that you have options, right? The options that you have are limited sometimes by the policy and by state laws or local municipal things. So the sooner that you get someone involved to help you, the better, because it actually opens up more options. Because the longer it goes, those options diminish due to time.
0: Awesome. I love it. Well, Taylor, thank you so much for you know coming on. It was definitely a pleasure having you as a guest on the show.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the finance and accounting show. If you like what you heard, don't be selfish, make sure you hit that subscribe button and then share this with a friend because you know a business owner that could definitely use this insight. So be sure to hit that subscribe button, share it with a friend and turn on the notification bell so you get all the updates when we release a new episode.